This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today marks Black Friday. Consumers get to race to the best deals and and all that sort of stuff. And the stories of violence and aggression coming out of the United States. We'll all see them, uh, I'm sure, any time now start to emit on your your device. I understand what there's already been seven deaths in the United States related to uh, Black Friday. But that's pretty much every day in the United States, isn't it? All right. Alyssa Freeman is with us. Principal Alyssa PR Communications, columnist, Huffington Post, Canada.com, PR Daily. Oh, yeah. All there and here, too. It's Alyssa Freeman. How are you, Alyssa? Well, I'm not shopping. I'm why aren't you, you shopping? What are you? Why are you? Or is this just a break? Maybe you're just... Are you kidding? Maybe, if, if I was really serious about Black Friday, Scott, I would be finished shopping. Yeah, that's what they say. I mean, there's some people that start and finish on Black Friday. Good for them. You know, I mean, they start very early, and they're home by noon, and that's it. I hear that Yorkdale here in Toronto is crazy. I can imagine. I, it, it, it could be just halftime for you. Perhaps you got up really early this morning. You <laughs> just, my you daughter just, went. So. You, you're just stopping to hydrate before the second half. Your, do- <laughs> your daughter went? She went. She went to Vaughn Mills very early. I think the mall opened. I don't know what time she was there. It might have been 8.30. Uh, the early she's ever gotten up on a PA day, let's yeah, yeah. put it that way. <laughs> That's the only thing that gets them out of bed. You know? What does that say? To her credit, at least I'm getting all these texts with pictures on saying, "Is or should I buy this? Is this a good deal? So, you know, there are some very coachable moments uh, happening today. Well, that's good. At least, you know, she's still upright. That's a positive sign. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So, uh, Black Friday, this was not a Canadian. This is an American phenomenon. This had yeah. nothing to do with Canada. We had Boxing Day. We never, and I guess they don't down there. And they always had Black Friday. When did this come terribly, become terribly convoluted? You know, really just in the past few years, and and I think that a lot of it was exacerbated by media. You know, there's always been Black Friday sales. However, in one or two instances in the U.S., you saw this these rampages, these people bursting through the doors of big box stores to get something they didn't necessarily know if they wanted, but they certainly knew at that moment that they really needed it. And not to get it would be to lose, would be to not win the prize. And therefore, these sort of images fueled this sense of consumer frenzy, the likes that have become very, very typical. We almost expect it when we turn on the news tonight. So also, um, you know, again, this was a largely U.S. phenomenon, and at one time everybody used to head down to the States, and I understand mm-hmm. Canadian merchants just got tired of that and figured they'd jump on the border, uh, jump on the bandwagon as well, rather than waiting till Boxing Day to cash in on this. Yeah, but I will tell you, I mean, the savvy shopper who shops on Black Friday really needs to know their prices, because we've seen instances where prices are jacked up and then supposedly cut yeah. on a Black Friday. Um, and if you don't know what the prices were before on the item that you're looking at, then you're just really caught up in the frenzy that this must be a good deal. But if you know the prices, and, and I've seen this done before when you um, compare the price of, a, let's just say, a blender, and they say the Black Friday sale is, you know, twenty nine ninety nine. Well, you know, down from forty nine ninety nine. You know, it was it was probably always twenty one twenty nine ninety nine. It's just yeah. that you've got to be a very savvy shopper. And if you don't know the value of what you're buying, you tend to get into this, you know, I want, I need. And the whole sense of this is a scarcity of a good. And if I don't get it, then I'm left out in the cold. 
I thought, though, there were reports last year that Black Friday was fading, that uh, not necessarily in the United States, but certainly here, that people realized, eh, you know, this is just not, this is just more hype for sale, that there's really no more great bargain, as you mentioned, then than there is any other day. Uh, how come now they're saying that it could be a record year for this? How come last year it was fading, now all of a sudden it's back in vogue? I think that, you know, it used to be a separation between Black Friday and Cyber, and Cyber Monday. Yeah. So if you didn't want to shop on Black Friday, you basically waited and then got the Cyber Monday. So I think what the retail community saw was, okay, we need to make this all one of the same. Now, anecdotally, I can tell you that there are lineups occurring out of stores in major malls here in Toronto. So do I think that at the end of the day, will the ROI be the same or even better than last year for retailers? Um, from the looks of it, it, it looks like they're going to have a good season. But it's it's almost taken away from what we knew as Boxing Day. And Boxing Day was, you know, the real time when you would go and get super deals. And they seem to move this whole notion of great deals up, a, up uh, one full month. So, you know, it's almost like they're trying to get two kicks at the can. Exactly. So the Black Friday business going on. And then... The same people, or even more, are still going to look for deals on Boxing Day. Well, it so seemed a bo- it's a way of creating more momentum in mm. in the retail cycle. Uh, you know, and at one time, Boxing Day was just about a clearance. It was all the crap that was never yeah. Uh, yeah. bought during the Christmas season, and a lot of it was end of line sort of stuff. You know, when I used to shop on Boxing Day, I used to get all caught up. I used to line up outside of stores, and I used to think that, well, I better get something. I mean, I put in all this time and effort to That's be here in the first place. Really? And then you, I would inevitably get something that needed as many alterations as the amount of money that I paid for it, or something that sat in my closet, all to satisfy this kind of insatiable desire that I had to come out a winner. Hmm. And, and there's, I think that's the whole psychology behind it. So, you know, there was this study that came out of UBC, and it's, it talks about, you know, when you create um, a momentum around the shortage of what they call critical life needs, like food, water, or shelter, you know, people can behave more aggressively. So I'm not saying that your new 52-inch TV is, you know, a, a short of, of some sort of essential life need, but based on that same concept... You know, the price is such that, you know, I'd be crazy if I didn't think I needed this or I will need this or it's a good buy just to have. You bring up a valid point. Uh, is, is, is this about the deal or is this about the experience? You know, I mean, there's a headline uh, today in, I believe, CTV News website. It says, pushing and shoving for Black Friday deals. That's only natural, study suggests. So it's all, you know, elbows up, in you go. Is, is that part of the experience? I think that there is an experience with Black Friday, and I think that it bears out in the number of people who are in the malls today trying to get their deal. And I think it's being part of something. Like, I would hate to call Black Friday a movement. I kind of reserve that name, that word movement for... Um, you know, things that have uh, great consequence and, uh, you know, join the movement. But, you know, Black Friday has become a movement that anybody can participate in. doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what walk of life. If you want to go shop, you're on equal footing with everybody else. All you need to do is have fast hands and keep your wallet open. But, you know, you said this is all walks of life, but who likes to be pushed and shoved and in a crowded scenario? I mean, we don't like crowds. We don't like congestion. We don't like traffic jams. Well, who's we? I mean, okay, traffic jams. Is well, again, thing, it's, it's all congestion. It, it is all congestion, but there's a goal. 
there's a goal at the end of this. You know, yeah, you're in a traffic jam, and the goal is to get where you're wanting to get to. But a new TV is better than work, is what you're saying. Well, you know, I think to a lot of people that, you know, this is, this is an event. Yeah. You know, it's an event that anybody can go to. You know, there's no criteria, really, other than wanting to spend money. And it's the great equalizer among people. So, you know, you could be with anybody and uh, from any walk of life, from any part of the city, and you're all gathered in this one store for this one purpose. And it kind of unites people in this, in this movement, if we want to call it that, that they're all on equal footing for one goal. And, it, and, and in some cases, it creates a sense of camaraderie. So, for example... I don't want that sweater. Do you want that sweater? I'll take that sweater. No problem. But I want what's in your hand. No problem. So it does create some sense of friendly interaction versus so, so, some so, of the really bad ones. So instead of, you know, holding, you know, you're shopping for something and all of a sudden the ladies, oh, can you hold this up and see if it fits on me? So one minute they're helping you size, the next minute That's they're right. punching you in the head. Well, no. Well, I've never had the punch in the head thing, but I have had the whole thing. Do you think this really looks good on me? And you can say no, and then they'll walk away and scoop it. And, and then you mean. take <laughs> But it does happen. See, you're a veteran at this. I can tell, Alyssa. Oh, well, look, I told you, I'm talking to you. I'm not even shopping. There you go. I went to a pre-sale, Scott. That's I mean, it. silly me. <laughs> you know what? Don't laugh. I got up this morning. My wife up is up earlier than me. I walk into the bathroom. She's got this, you know, smile from ear to ear. And she's got her device in her hands. And she goes, I just got a great pre uh, sale Cyber Monday deal. I just picked up root track pants. Bah, 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 bah. And she was she was like, my goodness, I've never seen her so excited so early in the morning. Well, it does provide a sense of satisfaction. And again, the criteria is... Before you even get out of the bathroom, though? Come well, on. listen, you know, you've heard of multitasking. Women yeah. tend to do that really well. Yes. Scott, this is news to you? Yes, you're... you're uh... <laughs> but isn't this event the ultimate in superficialness? Is that a word? Well... You know what? I don't know. I mean, yeah, if you consider shopping for things to be superficial, I mean, you know, some people do look at it that way. Um, there's a lot of things that are that are superficial, and people are buying things that they feel that they need. Um, is it, you know, is it feeding a desire of things we don't really think we need? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it is. Would you put it under the category of superficiality? I think a lot of people might take offense to that. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that uh, when we talk to the pushing and the shoving, because that's what seems to make the news uh, during this time of year, do, do retailers encourage that? Are they looking for that? Are they looking for that hype? Are they looking for that extra piece of exposure because someone's lined yeah. up at a Walmart? I think they're looking for the hype, Scott, but I think that they just don't want to take it over the edge. Yeah. I think that they do want the hype. They do want to see people in the stores. And they create their own hype by... You know, not making sure the store isn't too crammed, so they'll create a line. And then when people see that there's a line, you know, it gives the illusion that, hmm, there must be something good in that store, I'm going to line up too. So it does create um, an illusion and create, can create interest in your product, even though you may not even know what's there. Why does this not kill the season? And, I, and again, I've heard re reports that it does. If you've got a Boxing Day and then you've got a Black Friday thing going on, it's killing sales between now and Christmas. I think that people do expect um, lower prices, uh, you know, throughout. But, you know, when people are buying for Christmas and Hanukkah and, you know, all sorts of uh, other holidays, you know, you get a, a large percentage of people who are buying last minute. So they really, at that point, don't necessarily care about the price. They just have to fulfill the list, right? 
So does it kill the season? Uh, you know, I don't know. I really have to look at year-over-year numbers in terms of um, Christmas season, but there isn't one of my friends, not one, who doesn't work in retail, who will not be taking vacation or, you know, between November and yeah. January 1st. Like, yeah. unheard of. This is pedal to the metal. Let's get it done. Let's move the merchandise. If we have to start discounting to move stuff or to bring people in, we'll do it. But, you know, every day retailers are looking at the numbers, what's selling, what's not selling, you know, what could we bring out of old stock. So it, 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 it is a very, you know, a lot of this is very, very calculated. It's planned months and even a year um, in advance. So, you know, retailers do have forecasts that they want to fulfill. And right now they're just executing the tactics in order to make that happen. And of course, Black Friday named for the day the retailers apparently, supposedly are in the black. Is that true? Well, you know, nobody's going to tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Alyssa Freeman has been with us, Principal Alyssa PR. Alyssa, as always, uh, thank you for the time and get back at it. Okay, i got to go to the mall, Scott. All right. See you. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. We talked about this yesterday, Toronto Mayor John Tory. Uh, proposing tolls for the Gardner Expressway and the Don Valley Parkway. That has not only some people upset, but also uh, some leaders as well. Joining us now is John Henry. He is the mayor for the city of Oshawa, and he is with us now. Hello, John Henry. How are you today? Yeah, I'm great, Scott. And you? Good. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Uh, I appreciate this. When did you first get wind of all of this? I heard it on our local. I heard it on the 680 yesterday morning. And what did? Uh, what were your thoughts when you first heard this? Well, you know, I was a little bit shocked. Um, I understand the, the troubles that the, the mayor of Toronto is having. It's the same trouble that the mayor of every community is having and trying to pay for infrastructure. But, you know, my, my challenge is for those that will come in from your community or from my community, whether it's the Don Valley or the Gardner, you know, we, we already pay high energy costs. We pay to park downtown. Um, we're downtown. We shop when we have our cars downtown. And now you're asking us to pay, if you work downtown, $80 a month so you can go downtown and stimulate the Toronto economy. I find that a little challenging. Uh, like you said, they're all strapped for money. Uh, I guess this is an easy way out for him in the sense that it's easier to tax the people that, that can't vote you out, the people that are outside your, your community. And that's, in fact, what they're doing. It's, it's not hitting the people of Toronto. This is hitting people in the outside hoods like yours and ours. Well, it, well, it hurts even more because when, when the provincial government gives money for transportation to the city of Toronto, it comes from the, from the people that live in Ontario, that contribute to the economy, that pay taxes. And when they get these, these large amount of monies, and it wasn't that long ago, they got, uh, was it, 250 million from the province and 250 million from the feds. The money that they give from the other levels of government come from the residents outside of Toronto as well. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's troubling. And, and you know, what it's going to do is for that, that family that's struggling with high, high uh, energy costs, who's commuting downtown, who's paying for parking, who would go out and maybe have lunch a couple times during during the week in a restaurant or a coffee shop downtown or maybe go to the Eaton Center. They're just they're just not going to do it. They'll, you'll find that they'll shop in their own communities. It may move more and more people to go um, because it's just a, a, another cost that, that nobody can really afford. And, and quite frankly, it doesn't matter where you live now, you pay too much. Uh, lots are getting out. I mean, I'm sure you're seeing it in your community as we are at, out at this end as well. But that being said, there seems to be no shortage of people going back in. 
Uh, well, you know, it, it's it's hard. You know, you you live, you work downtown Toronto, and you've got to be down there early in the morning. You you really have no choice other than to drive. Go train doesn't go everywhere. So um, when you come from the northern part of the region of Durham, you've you've got that challenge. So so for us, uh, for the residents here, you know, it, it's just another another tax, and and it's unfair if they're going to do this to continually ask the residents of Ontario to continue to to ante up money for transportation uh, for Toronto if they're going to tax the, the, us again by road, ta- road taxes. Uh, you know, uh, obviously uh, the 401 is a different scenario, but that's like asking, uh, that's like you guys asking to tax people through Oshawa or that go through Oshawa on the 401 and go out the other end to pay just to use that portion of the highway. Well, in the other part is look at all the people that may live in Toronto that choose to come out and work in your community or my community, that come out to work at the, the nuclear plants or the hospitals or the colleges. Do we do, we do a postal code search and yeah. tax the people in Toronto for driving on local roads in Oshawa? In the big picture, it's, it's all fair. Um, everybody shares the pot and, and uh, we do our best. But, you know, for the residents in, in our communities now between hydro and the other costs, it, it, is, it is expensive, and this is just another tax that you have to pay to go to work so you can stimulate the economy in Toronto. What will this do for cities like Oshawa or Hamilton that are outside? Will it be good for them because people will finally go, you know what, I'm out, and, 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 and populate those communities, businesses, same sort of thing, move to those areas as opposed to being downtown, which isn't as attractive anymore? Well, we have great growth in in Oshawa and Durham right now, where people are coming out, and you know you can get a really nice home in in the in the Oshawa area for you know four hundred thousand dollars. It'll give you a driveway and a backyard to play in, and and uh, you know we've got great infrastructure here, the same as as what you have in Hamilton. Um, but there are areas where you know the, the the go train just doesn't work like it does in Toronto, where you don't have subways and and streetcars, and you rely upon your car and. Um, for us, if you still have to work in the city, I, I think it's going to move more people to go. And when people don't have their car, they're not going to shop. And I think this will this will ricochet. Um, there'll be a, there'll be a, 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 some protests from from the public downtown. And and for us, you know, our, we're at the end of the the train for go, and and we're trying to make that work for our residents out here now as well. Is there enough facilities there to move people from Oshawa in and out, as far as go is concerned? Well, currently, the, if you're not at the GO station in Oshawa uh, by uh, about quarter to seven in the morning, it's hard to find a parking spot. But yeah. Metrolinx and GO has plans to bring a, a train station into into downtown Oshawa and then ultimately out into into Bowmanville. So w- when that happens, that's that's great and that'll put more people on the train. But in the you know in the meantime, if you live out in in Uxbridge or Brock or Durham, uh, anywhere in Durham in the northern part of the region, and you, and you need to get in the city, you have to use your car. Uh, uh, you mentioned, and it's the same thing coming in from this end, a lot of the times the trains are already packed by the time you get on them. Is that just robbing Peter to pay Paul, or do we seriously have to look at, look at adding more lines and, and creating this infrastructure so you, you, know, you can ease the congestion on the roads? Well, really, if you're, if you're talking about a master plan for transit for, for the Lakeshore communities, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we we need to invest in in transit to get our people in and out of our cities, and and that's un, uh, you know we understand that the the problem is is you know they've talked about building a train station in downtown Oshawa out this way for eight years now. Um, you know, when they they haven't got any further today than they were, other than they've made an announcement and that it's going to happen. Uh, but when until they put a bridge over the 401, uh, we won't know for sure. So, you know, we've got capacity here. We're a growing community. We've got lots of people moving out here. Um, similar to Hamilton, where you want to get out, you, you, you know, condo life is a great thing, but it's not for everybody. Yeah. 
and you still need your car to get around. Um, we have great regional transit in in Oshawa um, and in Durham region, uh, especially along the lakeshore. But for the most part, if you're going to get to downtown Toronto to go to work, you need to take the GO train or you got to drive. So what's the answer for Toronto then? Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, this affects everybody when they when they're doing or uh, when they do what they're proposing to do. What is the answer for them? Well, you know, first of all, you know, we need to work together. Their Toronto challenges are the same challenges as, as Hamilton and Oshawa and all the cities in between about moving people. So creating a master plan and working together and consulting with the province. But, you know, out here in the 905, you know, we don't get the transit dollars that go into the city of Toronto. Um, you know, when, when you know, the federal government, the provincial government are always anteing up dollars, we don't get to see the same equality. Um, so, you know, for us, one's frustration. Um, you know, we're, we're in Durham, similar to Hamilton. You know, we have, we keep the lights on for, you know, 50% of the province through the generation electricity in Pickering and and in uh, Darlington. And, you know, the largest employer in Durham region is agriculture. So we literally, you know, feed the city of Toronto, too. So, you know, if we're going to move not just people, but goods and services out, and then you start to add those additional costs, it's another cost that will be paid for by the residents of all communities, especially if you're moving uh, goods. How long do you think it's going to take us to get caught up? Because it seems that for the last couple of decades, we've been sleeping on this. I mean, you know, as you said, development is just exploding everywhere, yet we really haven't done much to improve transportation, uh, whether it be roads or, or, or uh, uh, you know, transit-type facilities. Uh, we're quite a ways behind, aren't we? Well, you're absolutely right. And, and, the, and the challenge is we spend all this time talking about it and not doing anything about it. And uh, it's it's becoming uh, it's becoming a, a a real challenge every day as you leave uh, leave Toronto to go east on the 401, the, the 401 stops in Ajax about quarter to four and slows right down to almost a crawl till about six o'clock every day. The, uh, moving goods and services through the city of Toronto is is part of our economy, keeping up with the rest of the world. But if your vehicles are stuck in traffic, you need a way to find that. So we're happy the 407 is now opened and gives an alternative use, a pay road, for people that choose to use it. But for some people that drive downtown Toronto, they don't have the choice. They have to drive the Don Valley. And then what happens when you get down to the bottom of the Don Valley and you have to drive the Gardner? Are we going to pay twice? Yeah, good point. Um, you, you talked about the 407. I drive out that way uh, to go to our cottage uh, in, in the summer quite a bit. Uh, how has that helped development along that stretch, just taking it from Brock Road, the, the, you know, the 22K that it's gone? That's, it, it seems like things are just starting to explode out there. Well, it's been an amazing, uh, it's been a, uh, great for Oshawa. We've had a lot of fantastic development. Uh, we are bu- building houses in the north end of our city. We're building new schools. Of course, we've got UOIT, uh, uh, one of the newest universities in Canada, and Durham College right in the north end of the city that are right at the off-ramp of the, the 407. And, and the good news is it's moving all the way out to the 115. So when it's completed and there's a problem on the 401, it's going to give people the option of getting off the highway and traveling around Toronto on, on what it should really be identified as a ring road, but you'll be able to pay for that. But that road is a choice road. When you go to the cottage, you choose to pay to go on that road because you're going to get, make that time up, and, that, and that's a great thing. But when you have a toll road on, on the, the road that leads to the heart of downtown Toronto, and you have to pay it, there is no other choice. Um, 
you know, I think the only, and I was having this discussion with a professor uh, yesterday uh, of transportation on this. You know, I think what irritates people about road, uh, toll roads is the cost. I mean, you go through the states, you'll go by, you'll throw a couple of bucks in, there's always a toll here or there. Uh, and even with what John Tory's uh, expressing, you know, mind you, when you put it together like 80 bucks a month, it sounds a lot more than just the, the $2 that it's going to cost you, uh, you know, to go each direction. But it seems like something like the 407, it's a tank of gas to drive the thing. I mean, it just seems that, is there not a happy medium here where people can be happy with uh, a reasonable toll and not being gouged every time? Now, obviously, there's not much we can do with the 407, but even the, the part that goes through where you guys are, the government's taken that over or has built that and they're charging the same price. Yeah, I I think the problem, the the big problem is it's just it's just one more cost on another cost that's on another cost. Yeah. And, you know, you look at, uh, you know, the residents of Hamilton, and you just have to look at their hydro bills um, in the last couple of years and where it's gone to. And and what it does is it takes away that that disposable income. So out here, I've noticed, and uh, I've, as I've talked to some of my colleagues, that with the changes in hydro and some of the other costs that have increased, that, that the challenge is raising money for organizations like the United Way or mm-hmm. out here we have Simcoe Hall and some other places that are great organizations, but the, the funding is just we're, it's struggling to find the money that used to be here a couple of years ago because people are paying more and more. And, you know, your bills are going up, but your wages aren't going up in the same at the same speed. And, you know, when your hydro bills have doubled in the last five years, it puts a real burden on that family. And it doesn't matter where you live and what community, and it takes away that disposable income. So my concern about traveling downtown on for our for our residents that work downtown is not only do they pay to drive down, they pay to park yeah. as well. Mm. Uh, John Henry is uh, John Henry is with us, mayor for the city of Oshawa. John, do we just have to accept that, like New York and Los Angeles, Toronto's become one of those world class cities? It's like a top five city, and not everyone's going to be able to afford to play and live in there. I mean, is that just the reality? Well, I, I think if you check the current value of properties in the downtown core and the cost for a condominium. That's also moving people out to our communities. You know, you get out of school or university and you get that first starter job, it's pretty hard to afford to buy a condominium in downtown Toronto. So you're forced out to, to the outsides, to Oshawa and to Hamilton and some of the other communities where you your dollar goes a little bit farther, but you still have to commute into work. Yeah. Uh, where do you see this discussion going? You were, uh, you've commented that it'd be nice to have some sort of consultation on this. Do you think that's going to happen? Is, is this just one of those Toronto-only discussions? Or, 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 or should, the, as you put it, the you know, mayors that uh, have cities along the lake, is this something they should be discussing? Well, you know, it's always nice to have a discussion before it gets to be the discussion that we're having right now on the radio where it's now become a big discussion. And I would have liked to have known in advance, but the City of Toronto under the Toronto, uh, their act, they they operate differently than any other municipality in Ontario. They have their own set of rules. And, you know, and I understand the struggles that they have, but, you know, you take a, you know, a house in Hamilton or a house in Oshawa, um, equivalent to a house in Toronto, you'll find that your taxes are higher in our communities than they are in Toronto. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a challenge, and you hear about that, and when, you know, you don't want to put the taxes on the on the residential homeowners, I, I understand all of that. But in the end, um, you know, the problem that's in Toronto is no different than the problem we have. We we have streets that need to be maintained. Uh, we have city facilities that need to be serviced. We have street lights that we need to pay uh, for hydro and maintain and all that other stuff that goes on. So the city of Toronto's problems are just bigger because they have more people. 
but it doesn't make it any more challenging than the problems that you're having in Hamilton or the problems that we're having in, in Oshawa or any one of the other cities in Ontario. Does th- did this all start with downloading? I mean, what's the province and the feds role in all of this? Well, you know, there's some challenges. For example, um, social housing in Ontario is paid for on the backs of the ratepayers, and other provinces is paid by the, the province. Mm-hmm. So that's a challenge. So we're trying to manage our, 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 our social housing, which is important to every community to make sure everybody has a great, pl- a safe place to live. But some of the other costs that, that come into our community, and then there's the issue of fairness, you know. When you look at the money that goes into all the other municipalities and then you look at the large sums of money that go into the city of Toronto, you know, is there an issue of fairness? Um, you know, we make cars here in Oshawa, but um, the sales tax from those cars go to service every community in Canada through federal uh, federal dollars that are given for infrastructure. Um, you know, a car made here has an effect on a bridge in Calgary. Hmm. So, you know, you need to look at the, the big picture and... You know, you talk about all the issues, and we really need the other two levels of government need to sit down and, and really have a conversation how we can best look after our residents, not just in Ontario, but in every province. Um, you know, we're the richest country in the world. Resources, uh, water, all the things that em- people around the world envy to come here, and, and we still have challenges like social housing and some other things. And mm. We need to have that bigger conversation. I'm ready anytime the province or the feds call, and I'm sure that every other mayor in Ontario would join me. Uh, have you heard from Toronto since uh, you've spoken out about this? No, I've been following it, and, and I understand uh, there are some mayors and communities that are supporting this initiative. Uh, there's some mayors that aren't. Um, you know, for us out here in the 905 and in Oshawa, we're, we don't have the transit infrastructure to get people downtown. Um, you know, it, it's it's hard, and and we I worry about uh, you know the affordability for people, and you know you've got enough challenges now, and if if you're going to take the money away from from taking your kids to a social program for whether it be hockey or soccer or, or other things that go on, whether it's swimming lessons, now you've got to find that other way to find that extra eighty dollars a month, or heaven forbid you have to go down to uh, somewhere on the gardener and you're it's no longer um, you know four dollars a day, it's eight dollars a day, and then you multiply that by the the number of days you work each month, right? Do you think this is going to fly? I I don't know where it's going to go. Um, you know, as the mayor of Oshawa, I have very little influence on what happens in Toronto, n- nor does any any other mayor. But I'm sure it'll be the topic of conversation at the council at the council meetings. And you know, I, I worry about the infrastructure they're going to have to put in place to collect this. Um, you know, are they going to put a toll booth on the Don Valley? Are they going to try to do the same technology that's on the 407? What's the cost of that um, to put it in versus how much money they're going to make? How are they going to collect the money? Who's going to process it? So it's one thing to collect, you know, two dollars a trip, but how do you how do you manage that? How do you process it? Um, what's the cost for all of that? Because it, it there there is a back end to to a toll too, right? John Henry has been with us, Mayor for the City of Oshawa, and of course commenting on possible tolls for the Gardner Expressway and Don Valley Parkway and how it affects outside communities. John, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Scott, thank you for taking the time to call me. I really appreciate it. Great to talk to Oshawa. Take care. Bye for now. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, according to a new forum research poll, the provincial approval rating for Kathleen Wynne is low, and actually so low, it actually puts the Conservatives into, quote, supermajority territory. I've never heard the term supermajority now, but everything seems to be super lightly, so why can't a majority? Uh, to talk more about all of this, Peter Grave is with us, polit- uh, professor of political science at McMaster University. He is with us now. Hello, Peter. How are you today? Great, thanks. 
Thanks for taking the time to join us. We greatly appreciate this. Have you tried kielbasa with uh, beer and brown sugar yet? Uh, it sounds delicious, but I always think it's a waste of beer to cook with it. <laughs> I thought the same thing myself, although it does make the exercise a lot more fun. All right, let's move on. Uh, obviously, poll ratings uh, showing Kathleen Wynne in a decline. Surprise with this, and does it matter if we're so far out, or is this something to be concerned about, do you think? Uh, well, obviously, for the Liberals, it's something to be concerned about. Uh, I don't think it surprises many people. I mean, her uh, popularity rating last time they did this poll was 15% of people who thought she was doing a good job. This time it's down to 14%, which is really the same thing statistically. Uh, and I don't think it surprises us, because uh, certainly when I go around, I don't hear many people talking about what a wonderful Premier Kathleen Wynne is. It's often the opposite. Um, recently came out and announced the um, electric, electricity situation system, whatever you want to call it, um, is a mistake, was a mistake. Uh, how do people react to that? Does that play well? Uh, people get give her sympathy for that? Or does it work the opposite? Uh, I think apologies work uh, when people uh, have some sympathy for the person making the apology. I think it's hard in this case where Kathleen Wynne has had a very hard time connecting with Ontarians. Uh, I mean, when she says she's uh, uh, sorry, I mean, it's kind of a sorry, not sorry, I think, for a lot of people. It's not uh, clear to them that it's anything other than just the latest bit of political, you know, sort of cynical political positioning trying to put this issue behind her. And I, I think that reflects in the fact that it hasn't played that well. I mean, there are times and places where politicians admit mistakes and people are willing to accept it because it either seems genuine uh, or they're willing to give that person the benefit of the doubt. How about the fact that she didn't really, like she said it was a mistake, but didn't really offer an, a, a solution or, or any way out of it or any indication that she was changing her direction in any way? Is it, is, it, is it worth it to waste an apology or a mistake like this and then not have something, a plan B, to, to, to carry the message forward in a more positive tone? Yeah, I mean, this whole file has been a bit surprising. Uh, I mean, clearly, these things are things that you think the politicians can see coming. And you would have thought that rather than trying to fight it in these really small ways by first, uh, you know, taking the HST off a piece of the bill and then uh, now an apology, but I mean, in no way really changing the narrative about it. Uh, I'm surprised she hasn't tried something else, uh, you know, for instance, to say, look, no, we did these investments to make sure that the energy is there for you, you know, when it's 20 below and you need your uh, furnace to be working, uh, we made sure that the electricity system was there for you or what have you by inve- you know, investing in new transmission lines and so forth. I mean, uh, there's a different uh, story she could have been telling, might not have necessarily convinced uh, all of Ontario, but uh, might have at least taken some of the sting out of it. But the sort of steps she's taken have been ones that in many ways have just acknowledged that, yeah, she made a mistake and, and they aren't ones that are going to make people say, well, maybe we should cut her some slack. So it's, it's that she hasn't really been able to provide a different vision of what the government was up to and why that might be important to Ontarians. Um, by not offering a solution, does it send the message that she really doesn't believe it's as serious as it is and it's more lip service than anything? Uh, yeah, I guess it could do that. I mean, again, uh, with these things uh, like hydro rates, I mean, a lot of it is tied up uh, in sort of long-term decisions about investments uh, in uh, in the transmission system and in generation. And there's not really a lot of wiggle room for any politician to move on. And so you'd think you would try to get beyond a very narrow cost and, uh, you know, dollars and cents thing and try and sell it in a different way. Uh, but, I mean, it's a government that has really been mired, uh, 
in being unable to give Ontarians much of, of a new vision. I mean, we remember that they prorogued at the beginning of the fall so they could have a new throne speech. Uh, I had to go back today and look and see what they said in it because I had forgotten mm. what this government was trying to do. I mean, they've been hit with the Glen Tebow things, they've been hit with the cash for access things, they've been hit with the hydro things. Uh, there's been no real offense, if you like, in terms of them setting out a vision of what they're trying to do. So, I mean, despite, you know, Ontario's economic growth being better than it has been for a while, people don't really feel like they're seeing it. And uh, I don't think the government has been very successful in selling its sort of headline uh, moves around uh, economic growth, such as investing in infrastructure uh, or training for young people. And those kinds of issues uh, have been really absent from the public sphere, and I think it contributes to people's disappointment with the government because they don't actually get a sense that they're, they're moving forward on, on much of interest to them. Um, as I mentioned, she she used the word mistake, said that the plan was a mistake or the high prices are a mistake. We're, we're really not sure exactly, you know, what she's being clear on and what is a mistake and what isn't a mistake and, and, and how to correct it and such. Um, you know, we've got provinces that are heading down the same road, We uh, a prime minister that's heading down the same road, which is great, knock your boots off, but what about the due diligence in all of this? Is there something everyone else can learn from Ontario's mistakes? And if there is, wouldn't it be uh, great for Kathleen Wynne to stand up and say, you know what, we did this wrong, we did this wrong, we did this wrong, and, you know, this is still, uh, we still got to be green, but if you're going to head down this road, you got to make sure you, you learn from our mistakes and don't do as we have done. Wouldn't, wouldn't she get more mileage out of that? You know, even if you don't come up with a solution, but at least, you know, warn others who, who are using us as a, as a flagship that, you know, that, wow, you've got to be cautious going down this road and make sure you do your due diligence. Yeah, I mean, I would agree that she could have given a more complex story of what had gone on, and, and it would have then captured the things where, yes, the government really did make mistakes, uh, such as a reliance on private generation through the feed-in tariff rather than have some sort of public uh, green energy strategy. Uh, you know, and a variety of other, you know, similar features and things that were probably not a mistake, that, you know, we're paying more because we didn't pay in the past to upgrade the transmission systems and mm-hmm. if you want to, you know, keep them together, well, you have to pay at some point and, uh, you know, the bill is due now. And in fact, she might even be able to sell that in a positive light that she's willing to take the heat for something that is in the public's interest. Um, but yeah, I, we didn't see that from the Premier. I mean, uh, and again, maybe it, it contributes to what you point out, a kind of cynicism about whether she really means it. Uh, because, again, it seems more like you, you want to say sorry so you can turn the page and go back to telling us what great things you're doing for Ontario. You know what else, too, Peter? It creates cynicism around green because everything's about being green and either you're in or you're out. And now, of course, we've been fully in and we're fully paying the cost of it. And, she, you know, now she's saying it's a mistake. I mean, this is turning the already naysayers into, see, I told you so. The whole thing's a sham. I mean, to me, it's almost as if she's doing a dis service to green. You could say that. I mean, I, I would say really uh, she's probably unwilling to give up the fact that she believes that private sector solutions are better than public sector solutions. And so we see it with the, this aspect of green energy, but also with these infrastructure projects, you know, including, you know, these sort of design builds by Metrolinx in the, the GTA and the uh, there's this constant, uh, and, and federally we see it with Trudeau and the Infrastructure Bank, uh, uh, there's this belief that doing things through the private sector is going to be more efficient in all uh, cases, and there's a number of them where actually uh, using the sort of monopoly power 
uh, you know, of Ontario Hydro, uh, or using other forms of monopoly power through transit systems and so on might be more efficient because you don't have to pay for the profit and the private financing of the private sector. But uh, that's not where the Liberal Party is in Ontario or federally in 2016. And so uh, to admit that they made a mistake on the green energy, uh, I think, would be broader than energy. It would be saying that maybe they've made a number of decisions that have been costly for Ontario. I mean, much like the Auditor General pointed out in terms of the private financing of the hospital rebuild since uh, McGuinty took power. Uh, in in her view, cost us uh, many billions more than necessary. Is that what the heart of this discussion should be? Private versus public? Is that is, is that the root of all of this? Is that the elephant in the room? Uh, I mean, I think these things are too complicated for uh, to just be one elephant. Yeah. But, but the decision to say, yeah, we want to increase the share uh, of wind and solar in uh, Ontario's base load. Uh, but rather than going and figuring out how to build that most efficiently uh, through Ontario Hydro, we'll let anyone, you know, put uh, some solar panels on their roof and we'll subsidize them at, you know, this rather, and we have to subsidize it at a high rate because most people aren't just going to stick solar panels on their roof unless yeah. they can see uh, kind of a guaranteed long-term return. Uh, you know, I think that got us stuck in a bad situation. I mean, the, suspect there's other aspects. I mean, the decision to go with renewables is going to give you a slightly higher average baseload price and, uh, uh, if you didn't, uh, the decision to keep going with nuclear is likewise uh, is going to cost you more than you're going to see in a neighboring province where they are lucky to have rivers that they can dam. I mean, so there's a, a variety of things that are pushing uh, the Ontario rate in the in the direction that it's going. And uh, again, I mean, some of it is public versus private. Some of it is the sort of the luck of geography or the lack of luck in Ontario's case, where if you look at our rates, they aren't really so bad compared to other places that don't have uh, that much in the way of hydroelectric resources. Um, opposition, what can they do around this? Um, are they taking full advantage of the situation with Wynn and, and admitting the mistake? Uh, I think they don't have to do a whole lot in this case. I mean, that yeah. Wynn, is, Wynn is unpopular, and the, the danger is that the more they say, uh, the more people will point out that they actually can't deliver what they say. Yeah. So that there's... There's not a whole lot of leverage that can be uh, done on hydro rates short of, you know, a sort of outright subsidy to people. And if you do that, well, then someone else is paying that in taxes or you're taking it away from some other program. And so, I mean, even what uh, Kathleen Wynne promised around the uh, HST uh, on bills uh, was pretty much, I think, what probably Patrick Brown and Andrea Horvath were thinking they might offer. Uh, It's hard to see them having uh, much else that they can promise on this. So they'd rather, I think, keep quiet and let Kathleen Wynne uh, take the kicks, uh, because they know if they actually came out with their own strategy, it wouldn't be able to deliver a savings, at least not, you know, in the short term. Um, with Kathleen and Wynne, Kathleen Wynne admitting that this is a mistake, is this an exit for the Liberal Party? Is this them uh, putting this on her shoulders and letting her walk with it right up until a, a certain period and then bring in a new leader for the election? Do you see that happening at all? Uh, I suspect there's some liberals who would like that to happen, but I don't think that's what Kathleen Wynne thinks it's about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, short of some sort of push, and it's hard to see, uh, you know, who the the people would be to push her aside, and who the uh, who's going to ride in on a horse and rescue a, a government that's been there for 15 years and is looking pretty long in the tooth. Uh, you know, it's not clear who those players would be. I think for Kathleen Wynne. Uh, she has this belief that, A, the Ontario economy is doing better, and in another year's time, that's really going to show up in terms of uh, jobs. 
so I think she feels that that's uh, going to break for her. And so what she needs to do is find a way to change the channel and get back to talking about what she's done in terms of investing in transit and investing in roads in different parts of the province and uh, what she's doing for uh, university students with her tuition grant and what she's trying to do for primary students and investing in schools and get back to those kinds of issues and off the hydro one where she knows she's, she's in a very bad, very bad way. Uh, let's fast forward, say it was the next election uh, period. Uh, I know we don't need that right now, especially after the U.S., but let's pretend that it is. Uh, we, we've, we've been here before many times in Ontario where it certainly looks like, wow, this is going to be it for the Liberals, and then something happens, usually like the PCs are, are shooting themselves in the foot, and things turn around. Do you see that happening, or can you see this sting lasting right through to the election? Because, well, because obviously hydro rates aren't going to get any cheaper. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, what we've seen to date is uh, a bunch of votes leaving the Liberals and being parked with the Conservatives, and the question is how strong are they being parked there. Um, I think the danger for Kathleen Wynne uh, is that in the past she's been successful in essentially pushing back the NDP uh, by saying we've got to uh, fight against this really awful Conservative uh, and sort of taking the votes away from the NDP and then consolidating those votes and then run against the Conservatives. I think the danger is that if she becomes damaged enough that uh, you know voters won't be attuned to those kinds of concerns, and if anything, the votes are going to begin going the other way, where uh, you know liberal voters say, "Well, you know, I'm not sure that she can actually beat Patrick Brown." So if that's the case, I'll at least vote for a party that I'm not upset with, uh, and you see a real surge for the NDP against the Liberals. Uh, and I mean, we saw that with the forum results, which has the Liberals and the NDP tied at 24 percent, but in the seat projection. You know, the Liberals would be at about 11 seats and the NDP at 26, uh, you know, indicating that the NDP has some strongholds that it's able to hold geographically at that sort of level of support. But with the Liberals, it's much more thinly spread. And if anything, the collapse of their vote is really would benefit the NDP. How does this carve out, and this is the last question for us, we only got a few seconds left, how will this carve out a space for the NDP? I mean, we seem like we're in a land of extremes now, um, you know, and the Liberals pretty much removing any sort of platform they would have. Where does that leave the NDP? Uh, well, they've been nowhere, but they have the yeah. most popular leader, at least, you know, in most of these polls, Andrea Horvath does well. So I, mean, I think the NDP has done well uh, in southwestern Ontario, uh, trying to uh, be the alternative to the Conservatives, but I don't think they've found how they were going to compete, particularly in the GTA and in inner Toronto, if they were really going to try and uh, push off the Liberals. But, yeah, so, I mean, they've gone, I think, a more blue, to- you know, sort of a blue NDP, uh, focusing on cost of living issues, driving issues. Uh, I think they're going to have to find a broader scope, though, if they want to uh, take advantage of the liberal weakness. Peter Grabe has been with us, professor of political science at McMaster University, talking about a new poll and Kathleen Wynne's results. Peter, as always, thanks for the time. Have a great weekend. And you too. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.